Hi, Creative. It's Lauren here. I just want to remind you that if you love the podcast, the best way to support the show is by leaving it a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Actually, Spotify just started accepting ratings. So go ahead and rate it on there and tell all your friends to do it because it's super simple. It takes literally one second. I mean, maybe four seconds, but it's really quick. And uh, another great way to support the show is by sharing it with a friend or posting about it on social media. If you do post it on social media, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. And remember to tag the guests too, so they can also share. Okay, now let's get to the show. What does the idea of God mean to you? Is the word wrapped up in religion or expectation? Maybe God's been very strictly defined for you as an old white man in the sky. Or maybe it's even a word or idea that repels you based on past bad experiences. But what if I told you that you could redefine your idea of God to make it work for you and your creative life? And I'm not talking about religion here. I'm talking about your spiritual connection to something bigger than you. Whether you call it God, the universe, karma, or even being in a flow state, there's a divinity in creativity that we've all been connected to before. It's that feeling you get when creativity flows through you, not from you. Today's guest is going to talk to you about how you can start to talk to a higher power, develop a relationship with it, and even ask it for guidance. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, and creative coach. And this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word creative, take fear out of the driver's seat, and love yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. On the show, we explore the creative process and journey, mental health, self-development, spirituality, and everything it means to be a human and how to become more human. Today's guest is Julia Cameron, and I am so grateful to have the godmother of creativity and one of my personal heroes back on the show for a second time. If you haven't listened to her first episode with me, it is a must, and it's actually one of the most downloaded episodes in Unleash history, so definitely check it out. If you didn't already know, Julia is an artist, poet, playwright, novelist, filmmaker, journalist, music composer, and teacher. And she's maybe best known for her revolutionary book on creativity, The Artist's Way. The Artist's Way has sold millions of copies, has been translated into 40 different languages, and gave her the title Queen of Change for starting a movement that brought creativity into the mainstream conversation. Since The Artist's Way, she's gone on to write over 40 books, both fiction and nonfiction. And today we're talking about her brand new book, Seeking Wisdom, A Spiritual Path to Creative Connection. This book is so special to me because the link between spirituality and creativity is one of the pillars of this show. I believe that it's one of the keys to making your dreams come true and knowing yourself. If you don't know how to feel or use that connection, then this episode is for you. If you're already connected, then Julia will also help you deepen that connection. Julia is the absolute best at giving people practical tools to achieve great and powerful things. You'll hear us mention the morning pages, which is a staple from her book, The Artist's Way. It's where you do three pages of longhand stream of consciousness writing first thing in the morning and doing it changed my life. The song started flowing out of me like a river, honey. If you've ever had writer's block, this tool and all of her tools really are a game changer. Today, she's bringing a whole new set of tools from her brand new book to the show, and I'm so excited to share them with you. I hope this episode reinvigorates your creative journey like it did mine. Now here she is, the great Julia Cameron. 
Oh my gosh, Julia, such a pleasure to see you. I love, love your new book. I think it's my favorite. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's exactly where we left off on our last conversation, where we talked about how spirituality and creativity are intrinsically put together, how interconnected they are. And I just think it's also really interesting because since we last saw each other, I've prayed to you a lot. I've asked, you know, Julia, what should I do right now? Where should I go? I've wondered what kind of guidance you've given me. And so when your publicist, John, reached out to me and said, would you like to talk to Julia about a book, her new book about creativity and spirituality? I was like, wow, you, this interview is an answered prayer. So uh-huh. it's very exciting. So when I was reading the book, there were like a few general questions I had. The first one was, do you remember the first kind of prayer you said when you were a little girl? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die (laughs) or I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here. Ever this day be at my side to light, to guard, to rule and guide. Those were the prayers. And so it was just one that had been given to you via Catholicism. There was never like a prayer of your own that you recall. It was the recited ones. Yes, absolutely. It was given to me by Catholicism uh, and passed to me by my Catholic mother. That's usually how it goes. So I know that spirituality really came back to you. you. You disengaged from the Catholicism and spirituality came back to you when you got sober. Were you at all scared to write this book about wisdom and spirituality? Because I know you've been very open and and given people like, you know, if you don't want to use the word God, it's fine. You use the word God all over this book. And I loved it because you're helping us redefine God. But did you have any fear approaching this new book that's so about God and the divine? I did, absolutely. Um, I, I found myself thinking, well... I want to write about prayer, but I don't want to seem holier than thou. Uh, And I don't want to seem too (laughs) woo-woo. And I found myself saying, maybe you better just tell your story. Uh, And if you tell your story, people will understand where you're coming from. So I told my sobriety story which was the root of my new prayer life. And you were so vulnerable about your sobriety in this book. Like I, I had never read in such detail about it. I don't know if you've written about it in that detail before. It was really beautiful and I was honored to read it. Um, there was a wondering I had because you mentioned the dates of your sobriety in this. I know you put out books every January. Is that because it's the anniversary of your sobriety or is it just a coincidence? I want to say it's a coincidence, but it's a coincidence that has a purpose. Yeah. Yeah, it felt very uh, guided, as you say, (laughs) throughout the book. So when you were going to do this, how did you push past the fear? How did you, I mean, I know it's the pages, but how did that, like, how long was that process of getting to a place where you felt like, okay, I know I have to do this. I commit pen to paper. Well, I started out by saying, I'm afraid to do this. Mm. Uh, And then I said, 
even though I'm afraid to do this, I feel called to do this. And I used guidance saying, what should I write about? And the answer came back, prayer. (laughs) And I thought, well, that's a little bit daunting. And uh, I found myself saying, if I have to write about prayer, could you please give me a proper tone? Hmm. So I was asking for help all the way along the line. And so I love the way you started out, which was with the God concept. And, you know, many of us have this version of God. I grew up Catholic too. So, you know, I had this version of God up until a certain age where it's like this old white man in the sky who's like striking down lightning and very judgmental and wants to condemn you. And so you propose, okay, if that's been your concept of God and that's what you don't align with, doesn't have to continue to be your concept of God. The radical thought. Yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to ask you about this because sometimes, okay, I believe God is love and I believe God is everywhere and God is in you and God is in all of nature. But sometimes there's a little Catholic part of me, Julia, that sneaks up and is like, but what if God is still the old man? And what if he's going to strike you down for believing God is love? How does that hit you? (laughs) Well, I, I think this is where prayer comes in. Yeah. I think this is where you say, Dear God, please give me a proper concept Hmm. and please help my fear. I'm afraid uh, of you, God. And when I wrote, I'm afraid of you, God, uh, I heard back, there's no need for fear. There's no cause for anxiety. I think that it's important to talk about guidance because. It's been a part of my life for so many years. Uh, And I say, what can I hear about X? Uh, And then I pose a question. Then I listen. Uh, And I think in the listening, I find answers. Uh, And I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. I think you are because you said when I feel scared that maybe God is an old man in the sky that is very judgmental and wants to strike lightning at me to drop into prayer with the authentic God I feel and then just get curious. That's what I heard. I think that's absolutely right. I think uh, your phrase, just get curious, is part of what I'm trying to teach in the book. I'm saying try to pray in your own words if you can. So people will find themselves being candid. Mm. Uh, I found myself praying, dear God, I'm miserable. Yeah, that was one of my favorite things in the book. I guess I never considered to pray to improve my mood. And I love that you were constantly praying in the book, oh God, please help me improve my mood. I'm in a gloomy mood today or I'm I'm, uh, frustrated today. How did you start praying to improve your mood? And how does it work? Well, it works very well. Uh, And uh, how did I start praying to improve my mood? I began by trying to tell God the truth about how I felt. Mm. Uh, And when I was newly sober, I felt shaky. Uh, And I felt frightened. Uh, And I found myself saying, dear God, I feel shaky and frightened. Uh, And then I would get just a little teeny 
small, itsy glimmer of hope. Uh, and I would say, oh, you seem to be improving my mood. <laughs> Thank you so much. And to go back to that word guidance, like can, can you explain in your own words what that means? What is guidance? How does it feel? How does it act? Well, guidance is a sense of right action. It's a sense of what actually works in the universe. Uh, and it's an answered prayer. So guidance is when you hear something back from the higher power. You might want to say it's a two-way street. You know, we we are used to thinking of prayer as being one way. Mm -hmm. Dear God, please give me X <laughs> prayers of petition. I the other night I wrote, Dear God, what about romance? <laughs> I'm seventy-three years old, uh, and I I think I'm finished with romance, but I'm not sure. And I am sort of envious of people who have partners. And I heard back, Julia, your life is complete. You have no need for a partner. So how did that hit you in the moment? Well, I thought your life is complete was an interesting way to put it. Uh, they didn't say happy. They didn't say fulfilled. Uh, they said complete. Uh, and I hear myself saying they said, uh, and um, I think I should be clear that when I pray for guidance, I'm asking to hear back from what I think of as higher forces. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a single-pointed higher power, which can be intimidating. Right. But it's a, um, a sense of benevolent beings looking out for me. I have a prayer that I was recently given uh, by a man who is a Lakota elder, uh, and he was given it by a a woman 35 years ago, uh, and it goes, the light of God surrounds me. The love of God enfolds me. The power of God protects me. The presence of God watches over me. Wherever I am, God is. So I found that prayer very powerful. It is. It actually gives me a feeling of warmth through my body and feels like I'm like in this little light cocoon. You know, I've been thinking a lot about disappointment lately and like the dreams that you wanted that didn't or haven't come true. And if you get that guidance back, let's say it's for any number of things, maybe it's a romance, maybe it's you wanted to be an actor, maybe it's any number of dreams you had for yourself and, and you get that guidance back, your life is complete but you still want that thing. How do you deal with that space in between what, what you want or what you wanted and what guidance is telling you 
you have, do you think it's okay to still strive for it? Well, I think you're in a negotiating position with God. And this is where candor comes in, because you say, God, I hate your answer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't like it. I feel thwarted. Could you give me a better understanding of what is perhaps your will for me? Uh, And I think it comes down to not wanting to believe that our will and God's will are at opposite ends of the table. In other words, I think we need to start to believe that maybe our dreams do come from God Mm -hmm. and that God has the power to accomplish them. So I think when we're disappointed, we need to deepen our prayer and we we need to be able to say candidly, I am really angry with you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that prayer for understanding is, it's really key. I remember, okay, so I'll tell you one of my prayers, my lifelong prayers. In high school, I fell in love with my best friend, Johnny. And I mean, I thought we were perfect for each other. I couldn't, I couldn't understand why it wasn't working out and why he didn't love me back. And I remember I prayed like every day. Actually, I did a novena, which you'll appreciate. But I prayed every day for a year. I said, God, like, please allow Johnny and I to be friends someday. Allow me to understand why this happened, like why I had unrequited love and um, like allow us both to find love in our own lives. And two years later, Johnny came out as gay. So I had understanding that kind of like washed away any of like the hard feelings that were between us and we became real friends. And then just this year, I'm now 32 that I fell in love with him when I was 16. He introduced me to this guy, Tim, who I'm dating, who I'm madly in love with. So it's like I got a full understanding there. And that prayer was completely answered. But it took 16 years for it to come full circle. And if you told me that when I was 16, I would have been like, go to hell. (laughs) Like I never would have had the patience to think that I could wait 16 years to have that loop complete. But sometimes I think, yeah, it's like you talk a lot about patience in the book and that resonated so much with me. But all that's to say, like, I think praying for understanding and praying for patience can yield real beauty. Yes, I think that's true. And I want to say 16 years is nothing. You're right. I know. I had a marriage that ended 45 years ago. uh, And I kept thinking, but I still love him. (laughs) Shouldn't I be over him? Aren't I being too codependent? Couldn't I have an answer? Uh, And the answer that I heard from guidance was, love is eternal. Just love him. So I'm here to report 45 years later, uh, love is eternal and I do still love him. Yeah. And, you know, I remember when you said that you've written it in books before, but I remember you said it in one of the interviews I produced last year. And that really stuck with me over this past year because there were so many times when I was either feeling something unpleasant over the past year or going through something painful or even in a depression. And I would remember what you said. And instead of being like, why do I feel this way and beating myself up for it, I let myself feel it. And 
I wonder for you, like what has been the power of instead of fighting whatever you're feeling, just stepping into it? Well, I think we have another prayer, uh, which I I realize we're talking a lot about prayers in this show, uh, but I'm going to share another prayer, which is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's a very useful prayer. It works sort of like a lever. You say the prayer and you pull the lever. uh, And what happens is you find your attitude changing, accepting the things you cannot change. You, You find yourself feeling a commitment to life as it is. Yeah. And I mean, not escaping yourself, because I think, you know, it's hard enough to go through the thing you're going through. It's worse when you're going through the thing you're going through, if it's painful, and you're also beating yourself up along the way because you think you shouldn't be going through it. Right. So, okay, to move on to the next section of the book, there's prayers of petition, which could you just, I know you did briefly, but could you offer some examples of prayers of petition? Prayers of petition are are sort of what I call Santa Claus prayers, where you're praying to God for something, a specific outcome. Uh, and you may find a prayer petition was what you offered when you said, dear God, please make Johnny love me. <laughs> yeah. That's a prayer of petition. Uh, and the answer was, not now, dear. Yeah. And it turned out to be a really good not now. And it made me laugh when you said they're to Santa Claus. Because when I was little, I didn't understand that Santa and Jesus like weren't on the same team. I thought that they were like Santa, Jesus, the Easter Bunny were all like in cahoots. So I used to pray to all of them. I'd be like, Santa, Jesus, the Easter Bunny, all the good angels and saints. Uh huh. So it made me laugh because it, it reminded me of how I prayed when I was a kid. But you know, you, you spoke about it a bit, but why is it important to pray for if it be thy will? Well, I think what you're doing is you're yielding the floor to the universe. Uh, and when you say, if it be thy will, you're saying, okay, God, I'm not telling you what to do. <laughs> I'm willing to listen to your take on things. Uh, and so when you say, if it be thy will, You're saying, okay, God, whatever. Uh, And I have a friend who says that that she gets up in the morning uh, and she looks at the sky and she says, whatever. Uh, And that that's her surrendering prayer. Yeah. I mean, I think of it like if you're clutching your fate so hard and being like, no, this is the way it has to be. Like, I think of it literally like your hands are closed But if you're allowing and saying, whatever, if it be thy will, your hands are open and potentially open for something better than you petitioned for. Yes, absolutely. When you're writing to God, because you I know you write your prayers out. Do you write you write your prayer and you write the divine's answer to you, correct? Yes. I write LJ, which stands for little Julie. And then little Julie poses her question or her issue. Uh, and then I listen. 
uh, and I hear guidance back. Uh, and a lot of times people say to me, well, Julia, how do you know it isn't just your imagination? And I say, well, if it is your imagination, you have a much more benevolent and powerful imagination than you had previously considered. Yeah. And if it's your imagination, how wonderful. Either way, how wonderful that some sort of force like that either exists in the great beyond or inside of you or both and wants you to be okay. Mm -hmm. And you say that our prayers are always answered, but sometimes the answers are more subtle. How can we start listening for those more subtle answers to our prayers? Well, I think it takes practice. Uh, and I, I think we listen uh, and we, we sometimes hear something like, not now, sweetheart. Uh, there's a tenderness mm -hmm. that we are responded to with. Uh, the universe often says, little one. Uh, and compared to the universe, we are little. But little one is a term of tenderness, uh, and it's a term of endearment. So when we are listening for a more subtle answer, it's okay to go back again and say, could you please be blunt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I ask her that sometimes, Julia. I'll, I'll say, God, I can't handle any subtlety. I need you to drop it in front of my face. Please just drop the answer right in front of my face. And you know what? When I ask for that, it usually happens. Yes. Thankfully, not literally, because that might be kind of scary. <laughs> but I get some sort of really apparent, aggressive answer to my question. And then when we can handle the subtlety, we can you know, allow the subtlety. You also talk a lot about fear in the book. And like, I know there are a lot of scenes in the book where you shared your life at, in Santa Fe and when it was snowy and you would be scared and pray for protection. And when that's happening, are you writing that out too? Or are you speaking out loud to God? Like, how does that sort of communication happen? And what does it feel like in your body when you're praying for protection or to have your fear alleviated? Well, I do write it out. You do. And I do listen. And I find that the answers that come back to me are soothing. Uh, and I think when I say, dear God, I'm scared, that opens the door for the universe to address me tenderly. That's such a great message for us in I mean, you could say we're always communicating with God, but like in just even in communicating with you, it's like when we admit our vulnerability, when we admit we're scared or we don't know, people automatically want to reach out a hand to help us. It's this, a, a good lesson that your relationship with God is mirrored in your relationship with others. Mm -hmm. You also talk about getting from depression to hope with gratitude. How can we release sadness? Through gratitude? Well, I think it's a little bit tricky. Okay. Because our, your, your question is how can we release sadness? Mm -hmm. And the answer is to start listing things for which we have gratitude. 
a lot of times people take to the page uh, and they say, I'm grateful for my health, for my home. I'm grateful for my arms, my legs, my hair, my smile, my eyes. I've learned to like my nose. Uh, and when you start out, you may have a list that's very small. Uh, and as the list expands, we release the mood. So I know a lot of people who lost their faith in God when something terrible happened to them. You know, it's like they're angry at God because someone they love died or maybe they got sick or, um, you know, their dream hasn't panned out the way they want it to. For someone who's angry at God or what their idea of God is and needs to repair, where can they start? With candor, with saying, this is how I actually feel. I have a grudge against you, God. <laughs> I've never been able to forgive you for that divorce. I've never been able to forgive you for my friend dying. And I need to have a sense of a higher wisdom. I need you to speak to me uh, in terms I can understand about the events of my life. Just keep doing that until something clicks. I mean, like how they just keep talking, right? That's all it is, is talking to God. I think it's like, it's such a simple concept that it seems complicated. Well, when I first wrote the book, my working title for the book was Talking to God. Mm. So you're right on money. And why did you decide to change it? I didn't want the book to be threatening. Uh, and I, I thought that if it was called Talking to God, people would say, I don't know how to do that. And when I changed it to Seeking Wisdom, I felt like it was a title that invited curiosity. What do you mean by seeking wisdom? And then the answer is, oh, you mean talking to God. <laughs> yeah. And the title does have such an openness to it. It does make you want to lean in. I see what you mean. Did you battle throughout with, because I know you've talked about the woo-woo before, and even I remember you saying once, like, I don't like the word channeling. Um, because, because it is something that does like kind of turn people off sometimes. Did you battle with that throughout the writing of this? Did you go back and forth or was it once you decided you were good? Again, it came back to guidance where I would say, I'm afraid of sounding too woo woo. Uh, and then I had a girlfriend who is a Jungian analyst, a woman named Bernice Hill. Uh, and I told Bernice, I'm afraid of sounding woo-woo. <laughs> and Bernice said, Julia, woo-woo is where it's at. Can I tell you? Yes. The world is all about woo right now. So the next prayer you bring up in the book is prayers of praise. I was a little unclear on this. So how is a prayer of praise different from a prayer of gratitude? How do they differ? Well, I think it's a question of scope. I think when we say prayers of gratitude, we're being very personal. Uh, we're, we're saying I am grateful for my 
beautiful blue polka dotted top. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and when we have a prayer of praise, it's like we're saying, oh, wow, God. So it's a question of scope and a, a question of when we say prayers of praise, we are saying, I love you, God. Mm. When we say prayers of gratitude, we're saying, I'm grateful to you, God. Okay, that clarifies it. So there's a, another quote in this book. It says, um, prayer isn't just asking. It's demonstrating love, kindness, and tolerance. Oh, your, your friend Sterling said this in the book. Yes. So there's another part in here where you're like, you're asking, how do I serve? How do I serve? How do I serve? Why is that an important question to ask when in communication with God? Well, I think how do I serve? Uh, is a way of saying, how can I fulfill your will for me? Uh, and I have a prayer that I say, my creator, I'm willing now that you should have all of me, good and bad. <laughs> Please remove from me now whatever obstacles stand in the way of my usefulness. Take away my difficulties that I may bear witness to those I would help. I think uh, that we have a role model uh, in God. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, there is, there are so many beautiful, I mean, the book, get it for all the reasons. It's like I said, I think it's my favorite, but you remind us like the diversity of God's creation. There's so many plants, flowers, snowflakes, people. If God could create infinite beauty, what makes you think that you couldn't do the same? And like, just remembering that all of life is creativity and all of life is God. So you are too. It really incited and reminded me of how much innate birthright all of us have to creativity. Time for Diet Coke break. Yes, yes, yes. Da 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 da. <laughs> I really needed that. Love what you love. Diet Coke. Get runway ready. A chance to win the ultimate shopping experience plus hundreds of prizes curated by Kate Moss. Promo packs in store, 18 plus, T's and C's. Visit coke.co.uk slash break. So you talk about synchronicity in this. I actually had one when I was reading. There was something you wrote about like there's a little girl in a unicorn robe and I was wearing a unicorn onesie when I was reading that line. Um, but for those that don't know, will you explain what synchronicity is and what it means? Well, synchronicity is a heightened coincidence. It's when your inner world and your outer world unexpectedly mesh. It has to do with perhaps being in the right place at the right time. It has to do with what we were talking about before with prayers of praise. When synchronicity happens, it's as if God is showing off. <laughs> so we go, oh, God, that's incredible. Thank you. And you said in the book, synchronicity will strike us as too good to be true. So sometimes we'll turn it down. Why do we do that? And also, like, if you have done that in the past, you're looking back on your life and being like, oh, gosh, I did turn that down because I thought it was too good to be true. 
how can we stop beating ourselves up for a past mistake we made in regard to synchronicity? You know, one of the things uh, that I beat myself up about is my fear. Mm -hmm. And my guidance said to me, fear is a normal human response. In other words, sweetheart, drop the rock. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's hard because it's like when you have the same recurring fears or like fears of the same situation, it's easy to get into that feeling of like, oh, I should have it figured out by now. What's wrong with me? And it's like when you do know that and you know that you have to be forgiving and gentle with yourself and it's a normal part of the human experience, but you still have those beating up thoughts. How do you deal with that? Like, do you have any quick ways to get out of it? Well, I think uh, you're looking for a quick fix. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's normal. I think that's human. And I also think it's something that's sort of beyond our reach. And so I think this is where it comes back to, you know, the book is full of tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and gratitude list is a potent tool. Uh, and I I think uh, that when we're faced with, I still feel this way, shouldn't I be better? We need to ask that question. And then listen, and each one of us will have a personal answer. What is your favorite tool that you offer up in the book? Well, this is naughty. I like the tools right at the beginning of God concept, listing all the negatives of God that you were brought up with, the punishing God, the authoritarian God, the jealous God the judgmental God, and then listing what you would like. And then you find yourself saying, oh, (laughs) I want a God who (laughs) cha-chas. I want a God with a good sense of humor. I want a God who's compassionate. And I find making the list of what I want in a God is very powerful. Yeah. And then... I like some of the other tools, too. If it weren't so silly, I'd ask God. I love that one, Julia. If it weren't so silly, I'd ask God. Yeah, because that's a big thing that inhibits people from praying is thinking that something is too small to ask. Or even like I've noticed I pray a lot when I don't want something bad to happen or when I am scared, but... I loved how much you would call your friends in the book and just be like to your friend, Billy, Billy, I'm writing today. Please pray for me. And she'd light an incense and and pray for you to have a good day of writing and flow with ease. And it actually inspired me right before this call to text one of my best friends and say, hey, like, if you ever want me to pray for anything for you, I'd love to be your prayer partner. Uh-huh. And um, I think we forget that we can pray Good prayers or easy prayers or even silly prayers. So those are my favorite tools. You say at the core of impatience is fear. Do you have an example of this in your own life and how you've worked through it with your guidance? I wrote a play uh, and I didn't know the shape of the play. So every day I was writing blind, 
writing each day's scene and not knowing what would come next. And I was frightened because I'd like to know a little bit more of the story than that. Uh, and I found myself asking in guidance, what shall I write next? Uh, and the answer came back, tomorrow you'll know. And so my fear was that I wasn't patient enough with the place unfolding. Uh, I was wanting to know the ending. Uh, and instead what happened was one day I realized it's the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a great metaphor for life too, though, because we get impatient because we want to know the ending, but then we miss the whole journey. And the more present we can stay, the more magic we get to experience. But you got to constantly remind yourself of that. Yes, I think so. Okay, there was a part that I loved in here with, with Steve. He said instead of silencing his mind, he likes to enter the madness. <laughs> That that's where the magic truly lives. So he enters the madness and then he goes into silence. That really resonated with me. But I was curious how it hit you and what it meant to you. Well, I was delighted to hear him say that. Um, because I found when I think about meditation, uh, I'm always feeling like I'm doing it wrong. I should be quiet. I should have a still mind. Uh, and instead, my form of meditation is morning pages, which are entering the madness, which are writing, this is how I actually feel, uh, and it's fairly chaotic. Uh, and I found that when he said that to me, I thought, yes, there's great wisdom in this. I I thought... All parts of me are welcome here. That's a great thing to just say throughout the day. All parts of me are welcome here. It's a beautiful mantra. Julia, this, this other thing I loved in the book is that how you describe everybody eating. I really noticed it this time. You describe what people order. You describe how they're eating. I'm curious why that's such an important detail for you to include in these various interviews you do with people on prayer. What is the sacredness of food? Well, I think you've already hit it in a nutshell when you say food is sacred. Uh, and it's an example of the benevolence of the creator. And I think if I write about what people eat and how they eat, I'm taking part in a, what you might want to call a sacrament. You were brought up Catholic, so you were brought up with the body and blood of Christ being bread and wine. Yes. And I think uh, I'd say it could be enchiladas. <laughs> or tamales. Or tamales, yes. Or um, coconut oatmeal or the vegan skillet. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of food in this book. It honestly like made me want to take a trip to Santa Fe to eat. Uh-huh. Okay, so marching forth, talking to God. I love that your birthday's March 4th. My friend Johnny, who I mentioned, his birthday's March 2nd, so I think it's a very sacred little piece of time there. And you really opened up on 
this part of the book and talked about your 72nd birthday. And you talked about how you were feeling blue on your birthday, thinking about everything that you should have done. And it just, it struck me because it's like you've inspired so many people's lives, so many people's creativity, set people on paths that they never would have otherwise. And it just, it blew me away. And I was really grateful you shared this moment because it was so human, but that you could feel that way because I look at you like, I mean, I I look at you like the patron saint of creativity, you know? And would you take me a little bit through your emotional life that way and how you still ended the day on a good foot? Well, this is where uh, I go to the Red Enchilada on Thursday nights with my friend Nick Kapustinsky, who is a poet and an actor. And I find myself letting down my hair Um, he's 36, so I'm just about twice as old as he is. Uh, And I found myself saying, I'm miserable, and it's my birthday. And he very wisely said, I think birthdays are about feeling miserable. They're about not measuring up. Uh, And... So what you find is that what was good enough for you at 71 is not good enough for you at 72. So um, I was grateful for his guidance, and I was grateful we go on Thursdays. We each bring a poem that we've written during the week. So every Thursday we have to have a new poem to show each other. Uh, And I found myself feeling it's good enough. Hmm. It's enough. What does enough mean to you? It's a sense of inner satisfaction. It's a sense, again, of Juliet, drop the rock. If somebody's starting their spiritual journey now, you know, they're creative, but they've kind of blocked out the God force from their life. What would be one thing that they could start today to open up that relationship? Well, here I sound like a fanatic. I'm going to say (laughs) what you must do is start writing morning pages. And that as you write morning pages, you will be led into a spiritual connection. Uh, And I, I don't think that we often use the term a spiritual awakening. But I think that is, in effect, what happens with morning pages. You come to have a sense of a benevolent something looking out over you, witnessing you, caring for you. And I think I would tell people, just try. Mm. Trying is enough. And what is your wish or dream for yourself right now, today? Well... I just finished a book, which is tentatively titled Right for Life. And it's a book about gentle ways to approach writing. Mm. And so my, my dream for it right now is that a year from now, we'll be talking again. And you'll say to me, you know, Julia, I thought your prayer book was my favorite. 
but now I think it's a writing book. <laughs> I have a feeling it might be, Julia. I love you so much. I'm so grateful for all that you do. So grateful for this book. I need to reread it. And I have to admit, I have to get back to my morning pages. So I'm going to start that. That's my New Year's resolution. That's my wish for myself. Thank you so much, Julia. And thank you for this book. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening. And thanks to my guest, Julia Cameron. For more info on Julia, follow her at Julia Cameron Live on Instagram and at J underscore Cameron Live on Twitter. You can find her new book, Seeking Wisdom, on Amazon or wherever great books are sold. It's out today, so definitely grab a copy. To learn more about her other projects and video courses, go to JuliaCameronLive.com. Thanks so much to Unleash producer Emily Shulmanovich. You can follow her at We Can't Find Emily. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow the show on Spotify. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also, tag Julia at Julia Cameron Live so she can share too. My wish for you this week is that you start having candid conversations with your higher power. Be angry, be frustrated, be grateful, be whatever you want to be. Just be honest and see where that conversation leads you, both creatively and just with your life. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.